Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. Uh, This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. This month, we have the founder of Believe Schools in Indianapolis, Indiana, Ms. Kimberly Neal. Welcome, Kim. Thank you, Dr. Perkins. Honored to be here. Thank you. And to our faithful listeners, welcome back. Uh, Thank you for being part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, we're glad you've joined us. And I'm uh, really excited to have Kim with us uh, this uh, afternoon. Kim, um, as I mentioned uh, in my introduction, is the uh, founder of Believe Schools in Indianapolis, but she was also uh, a managing director of secondary education at KIPP DC and has held a number of roles in uh, education in uh, places in urban centers um, around the country. And um, I invited Kim today because uh, there's a significant number of the listeners out there that are either principals or aspiring principals. Um, A lot of people are listening from our our urban centers around the U.S., and um, Kim has done it and done it well in a number of urban uh, areas, and and especially the challenge of being um, a principal in these communities. Um, I, I guess the first thing, Kim, I want us, you to tell us a little bit about um, is the new school that you have founded, a new network that will be uh, Believe Schools. Um, tell us a little bit about um, uh, your, your project in Indianapolis. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. We'll launch next fall, uh, fall of 2020 uh, with ninth grade only here in Indianapolis, and it's a college and career-focused high school. The reason I'm excited about it is because it's a very different model than what I've been doing for the last uh, 15 or so years. Uh, The model is going to focus on acceleration, autonomy, and agency with our students. So think uh, the private school uh, model where students are given a lot of freedom and autonomy and space to express themselves um, with the urban student, um, a traditionally underestimated student who's generally in a more disciplined and structured environment. Um, I have to believe that our students are uh, able to rise to whatever occasion uh, is set in front of them. And I'm faithful that once we launch this new school with lots of autonomy for our students, that they're going to rise to the occasion and excel um, in this new environment. Mm. So when you say autonomy, tell us a little bit, what does that look like, autonomy in the school? Um, Describe that for us. Yep. So our goal is that our students will not, um, over the four years, be subjected to uh, rigid discipline policies. Our students 
will be expected to go out into the community and be actively involved and engaged in the community. I think on Friday afternoons, our students, instead of uh, sitting in a classroom or in many of the cases that I've worked in, sitting in detention, they'll be out in the community uh, volunteering or tutoring at a local elementary school. They may be taking a class at the local college or university, or they may be playing soccer with their friends and uh, getting their physical fitness and keeping track of their own hours and submitting those hours to their advisor for their credit. Um, and they'll have regular supervision or check-ins, but it won't be somebody always standing over them and watching them. Our kids will understand what they need to do and be focused um, in making sure that it gets done. Mm-hmm. Well, Kim, I know that you have a background in social work, um, and um, I know that you have been lauded for your your work in the schools that you've been about um, really uh, going after um, the kinds of policies and practices that um, that that create the school to prison pipeline. And so, you know, today's show is uh, is entitled Dismantling the School to Prison Pipeline because of all the attention you've received um, in in your efforts in the different places that you've been. But particularly, I think uh, it is at the forefront of what you're doing now in Indianapolis. Um, Tell us some of the kind of the key elements uh, that you think need to be present in a school to actually uh, address the reasons why children are dropping out or uh, underachieving and moving uh, towards that pipeline. Um, Tell us what are the things that you're doing that actually counter uh, students being um, uh, being put into uh, the criminal justice system. Yep, I think the way the easiest and uh, way to sum it up is I had a a teacher, a former teacher of mine from one of the networks that I've worked in, uh, post on my Instagram recently after seeing the article in the Heckinger about the new model that I loved working with you and for you but I didn't love the fact that we didn't trust our kids. Mm. Uh, The reason that resonated so much with me is that um, it hit me. Like similar to what I've been experiencing in the last few years as my mindsets have started to shift and change. And I heard John King speak about two years ago about the school to prison pipeline and nationally what the suspension rate is doing to our community and how much school and academic time is lost when we suspend students, like that kind of started uh, my evolution. But uh, I think the comment from the teacher sums up for me and continues to push and motivate me because we have worked in schools where we didn't trust our kids. And I think mm-hmm. the reason that these schools exist is because a lot of these schools were started by people that had biases that they weren't able to acknowledge. Um, mm-hmm. Those biases manifested in some mechanisms of control for kids and not mechanisms to teach our kids how to be self-sufficient and autonomous, mm. to, be, mm-hmm. to be frank, free adults. Uh, when mm-hmm. we tell our kids where to stand on the line or make them sure. earn a locker or uh, have a silent lunch all the time because they, they talked a little too loud, we are perpetuating the systems that you would see in our prisons. 
Um, but it's also because we feel the need to control our kids, and that control comes from fear. And if we're mm. scared of our kids, if we don't trust our kids, then we're not able to develop them into the whole uh, human beings that we need them to be in order uh, for our society to continue to grow and develop. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, you said something that that is really striking about trusting the children, Um and and you know there are there are some and I've been to a number of schools where uh, when you mention uh, having children walk on the line, um, one one really important uh, lesson that I have uh, for people who are going into the principalship in our principal training program is that schools are. Um, practice grounds for adulthood for children. And so we have to understand that there will be mistakes and in some cases really bad mistakes, but that's where they need to make them versus being out in the real world, so to speak. Now, it's not to say that they there's no accountability, but there needs to be structures in place that help children um, make those mistakes and learn from them. Tell us a little bit about uh, when you say you're addressing the discipline problems and how you are addressing discipline uh, in your school. Uh, with that in mind, uh, tell us a little bit about what that looks like for you, um, for how how children get an opportunity to learn how to walk in the hallway without having to be on a line. Um, how do they learn how to uh, have social time in the, um, the the cafeteria without being too loud? Um, because actually, I've heard in some cafeterias where they've they've actually restricted children from talking, and there's you know yeah. and at uh, altogether. Um, so tell us what that actually looks like in in the schools that you design. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, in all transparency, I've participated in all of these systems and have enforced them well. So I know what the expectations are in our um, our overly structured schools in our country, especially the ones that are existing in, in urban environments more so than anywhere else. I get it, and I've been a part of those systems. I think what's going to happen new is because I know what the expectations are for our students to not only um, – flourish in those environments, I also know what they have to do in order to flourish in the boardroom or in order to mm-hmm. flourish in a Fortune 500 company. So we want to set the base of expectations for our students. So we won't um, we won't be a free-for-all. I love restorative justice. I love the concept, but our students also need to understand consequences. So we won't, we won't teach our kids that there are not consequences for their actions, but we will also expect the slow release of autonomy for them to show us that they get it and they can demonstrate it. So an example of that is at the beginning of the year for our ninth graders, will they be in a uniform? Absolutely. Because I don't want to see belly shirts um, and sagging pants in our school because that's not the attire that's going to get them a job that will earn them a livable wage. So will we Mm -hmm. set the baseline of expectation of what appropriate and professional dress looks like? Absolutely. But then by their senior year, should they still be in those khakis and a polo? No, because at that point, if they haven't internalized what's professional and what's not, what what the time and place is for uh, certain items is, then we failed. We haven't done our job. So our Mm -hmm. goal is that we will create a base of um, 
social norms and expectations for our students. And a lot of that will be through video. A lot of that will be through uh, trips to visit uh, Lily here in um, Indianapolis, Cummins here in Indianapolis, some of our larger companies here so that our kids can see what people look like when they go to work in these places. Uh, some of our trips may just be a morning uh, ride on the red line here where our kids are able to identify, hey, who looks like they're going to work? Who looks like, you know, let's talk about what we see in our community and let's talk about when and where um, you should be wearing certain things. So we will use, I'm just using uh, tire as an example. Mm-hmm. Our kids sure. have the skills to decipher what's appropriate and what's not. We just have to help facilitate that with them so that by the time that they're um, 11th and 12th grade and they're getting ready to start their dual enrollment in college or a career program, no one has to tell them what to wear. They understand what they need to do and they're focused in making sure that they do it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. So shifting gears just a little bit, I, you know, as you talked about uh, some of the things that um, you you expect from your students. I just um, I know that uh, a number of people have expressed some difficulty um, uh, attracting the kinds of teachers that uh, also flourish in those environments. Um, what do you look for in a teacher that you think uh, would would be um, a good example? Of, of who you need in your schools and to fulfill the vision you have uh, towards social justice, restorative uh, uh, discipline policies. Um, wh- what, does that, what does that teacher look like? Yep, um, I think the teacher, and I think that the teacher that we're needing is someone who can identify with our kids, someone who trusts our students, And that's not to say that everybody that comes in um, won't come in with biases, but they're willing to be self-aware and acknowledge them enough to say, hey, I need to grow and I need to develop this. So we want a diverse teaching uh, staff. So we want anybody who wants to trust and show and Mm -hmm. display that every day with our students to be a part of our team. We also need flexible people who are passionate about development because all of our teachers are expected to be advisors, which means they'll get 15 or 20 kids that'll be their own that they need to not only see uh, through high school, but into their uh, college or career or path of, of choice. So we want someone who's willing to go that extra mile with our students and not just be that teacher in the classroom, but be the support system that some of our kids may need in order to uh, truly realize their dreams. So mm-hmm. dedication, loyalty, um, and, and a little bit of flexibility, uh, I think, are some key uh, characteristics that we're looking for in our teacher. We also need people that are knowledgeable in their subject matter. Academic excellence is a non-negotiable for me, so all of our teachers are going to be expected to ensure that our students are excelling um, academic, academically. Acceleration is one of our core pillars, so we need our students to finish their high school requirements by the end of their sophomore year, which means that some of our kids may have extra time on task and we need teachers that are willing to support that as well. Mm-hmm. Is it difficult or have you found it difficult uh, to recruit the teachers you need? I, I haven't. I, what I'm really excited about is we already have a strong pool. We're just mm-hmm. getting started in our uh, teacher recruitment uh, 
strategy, and we are already getting a lot of traction um, from teachers here in the community that are really excited about our model and excited about the fact that we're doing something different. Mm-hmm. I see. And so, Kim, you know, you um, you have been in a number of of challenging context. So I know you've you've um, served as a school leader in in Chicago, in uh, in D.C. area. And now you're in Indianapolis, and um, and so I'm I, I, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear um, what is your your approach to getting buy-in in the various communities you've been in. Because for, for all practical purposes, the places that where you have been, um, people have not been entirely successful. And they have been in schools um, and in communities where the schools have not been, um, have been, uh, not been successful. So um, how do you get buy-in um, in order to, to, to do and accomplish the things that you've managed to accomplish? It starts with the parents. I fundamentally, again, back to the trust, I trust and believe that all of our parents want what's best for their students. All of our parents have not, because of a systematic um, oppression, been given the tools that they need in order to help their child be their best selves. So one of the things that I would say I would uh, identify as the key factor to my ability to impact the communities that I've been uh, had the opportunity to serve is that our parents have been so supportive of the work that we do. Uh, our parents trust me with the care of their child, and I trust them that they're also going to support what we need at home. Um, and that partnership has been key to the uh a uh, couple hundred kids that I graduated in my first high school and the couple hundred kids that I uh, finished uh, the middle school in D.C. with. I think a lot of that, uh, a lot of the success of those students uh, was derived from a trusting relationship between school mm-hmm. and home. Sure, sure. Uh, if you're just joining us, um, we have with us today Miss Kimberly Neal, who is the founder of uh, Believe Schools in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, scheduled to open next year. Um, if uh, there are callers, uh, uh, listeners that are out there that want to call in, um, ask you to do so at 657-383-1481. Again, 657-383-1481. Um, and uh, we'll take a few calls. Uh, we do have someone who has been um, holding, um, called in a little earlier from uh, South Carolina, where we have seen. Um, South Carolina, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yes, sir, I'm here. Okay, please. Uh, do you have a question or a comment for Ms. Neal? Yes, I do. It's, it's going to be a comment. I'm going to kind of round it off with the question uh, because I was at this place. It was another blog talk show that was on and, you know, they were speaking about, you know, different dynamics concerning Africans uh, in America. And I guess in the case, the school, the prison pipeline is specifically speaking about black and brown kids. And in normal cases, specifically black kids, the underprivileged, the underprivileged kids, and um, actually, just to to make it more clear, PBS has a special 
and I would encourage kids to look at this uh, documented educational view of what we're talking about or what is being spoken about here, but it's actually called slavery by another name. And basically Uh talking about, talking about the dynamics of America. And this is why it is very, also very important for us as parents to take it a step further and to teach our children, um, you know, deem things that are necessary because there are things that the school just won't teach your children that mm-hmm. should be important for their, you know, for their growth. But slavery by another name is actually a documented experience talking about how slavery was quote unquote abolished. And then you had the new uh, prison system. Um, and in that mm-hmm. there were plenty of black people that were the ones um, thrown in jail in a lot of cases for no reason. I have one personal experience I have a young man, he was a great great athlete, going to the pros in Georgia Southern. His name is Shai Wirtz, come from a good family, things of that nature. But the police stopped this young man, and it's something that has gone viral. TMZ, The Breakfast Club, everybody is now on this, but it happened here in South Carolina. But the police jumped all over that young man, basically wanted to criminalize him as the system does, and a lot of times they criminalize you and try you dead on the street and make you wrong before you even have a fair due process within Mm -hmm. the system. So looking at this issue where he was wronged, they said they found some cocaine, a cocaine, something that they thought was cocaine. They tested it, but it actually was bird poop. The test on the scene, they were wronging wronging him saying that it was cocaine, saying that, you know, basically trying to ruin his career, but it came back to be bird poop. And a lot of times, the in, in a lot of these cases, you know, not all times the black boy or the black kid will have a voice to say, well, hey, I'm not wrong. You know, they, uh-huh. there are cases where they could get thrown in jail. The Quali Browder story, young 16-year-old boy that got thrown in jail for three years for something that he didn't even do. You understand? And this is the nature of this system. And I think it is something very important. And my question, I'm sorry for being so long-winded, but my Mm -hmm. question is, are we simply looking at the educational part of the system that in, in which, you know, whatever is doing wrong to us, or is that a bigger picture? And is that bigger picture somewhat tied into, uh, I'm going to say white nationalism, you know, where they protect, where this system protects the white terrorists, the white domestic terrorists, right? We do know that Dylan Roof, he got taken to Burger King after he went in to kill nine Christian people, right? But an unarmed black boy for doing Mike Brown. He got shot dead in the street, left cold, you know, uh, Eric Gardner got choked to death. Yeah, and I'm from from St. Louis, so the Mike Brown case definitely resonates with me more than a lot of people um, because my family grew up. I grew up uh, down the street from there uh, with my my family. My response to that is a leader who I respect greatly, Kaya Henderson, the former chancellor of D.C. Public Schools, uh, came and spoke to us uh, when I was doing a program, and she said, I can't fix 
I can fix education. I, I can I can impact education. She didn't say fix. Impact uh, educational outcomes. But I can't fix a broken system. And in a lot of our cities, and, and we were specifically speaking about D.C., a woman can't even deliver a baby because there aren't hospitals that are equipped for that in some of our communities. So I think mm-hmm. that speaks to what you're speaking of is that there are systematic issues in our country that education can't fix. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I yeah. don't pretend to have a silver bullet that's going to change police brutality and some of the other things that you're touching upon. But what we can do is make sure that our kids are educated and equipped to deal with whatever life throws at them. Sure. And um, thank you for that. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a good segue into my next question was, um, you know, what else um, is being done in terms of partnerships? I know uh, there have been some um, uh, other uh, articles that have been written about some of the work that you had done uh, in forming partnerships with um, local um, uh, law enforcement and other other community agencies um, to address this issue. Um, tell us a little bit about the other kind of reaching out beyond the schoolhouse walls um, to influence others to be a part of the same mission that you are. Uh, tell us a little bit about that work you're doing. Yep. So the one I can speak to the most is the one I'm closest to, which is the uh, uh, foster care system. So I am a CASA advocate here in Indianapolis, and Indiana, due to the drug epidemic, has more children that are in need of services than most other states in our country. Um, and, and in response to that, um, and hearing those statistics when I moved here, I was always passionate about it, something I've got involved in. I am actively working to understand how our kids are ending up in the system and then working with uh, some of the local community leaders about how we can address that. There's a faith-based organization here just doing a lot of work around that, most recently around the fact that they were trying to criminalize children as young as 12 and 13 years old. Um, That Mm -hmm. bill was defeated. Um, we, I was active uh, with that, making sure that that bill got defeated and went to um, as many community events as I was able to to address that issue. But that that's one bill that highlights the fact that we are living in a broken system and we've got to work in, in totality with other community organizations to make sure we're addressing all of the issues and not just the achievement gaps. Sure. And, and a lot of this, um, and, and this is tied into... Um, uh, the question I had about uh, you having the teachers uh, that with the, with the appropriate uh, attitude and disposition to, to do this work. Um, um, Just as an example, I, I, you know, what I'm talking about is that you can't have people working um, in these environments that are afraid of children and are afraid of, These children that are um, that that come um, to us um, in in the schools uh, where we need the most and and but they are further alienated um, 
in the schools and the the parents are alienated a lot of times when they come in. And so um, you got to have the teachers with the right uh, attitudes and dispositions. Um, I think about um, a client of mine once um, was telling me about um, a situation in in their school system where a kindergarten um, child, a uh, young black boy, um, the teacher and the principal um, called the um, the police on a kindergarten boy um, for pulling down his pants, and mm-hmm. um, and. I immediately when I heard that, and if you whether sometimes you know you don't necessarily have to have children. I have uh, four myself, but if you have children, you know that what mm-hmm. that that's what they do at that age. And so I just was, I, I, and I was just thinking like, who is this person who does who is in education who doesn't understand that children, if it itches, they're going to scratch it no matter where it is, and if they're too hot, mm-hmm. they're going to take it off um, at that age, and that's what they're there to learn. But to actually call the police because the child pulled down his pants. And it's just what they do at that age. And, and I just, I, it, it, it disturbed me so. Um, and that I, I, I was just saying that these are not the people we need um, in our schools working with our children. Um, so that, that, that piece was very important for me. And that, part of that resonates a ton with me. Uh, we talk a lot, especially here in my current landscape in Indianapolis, about representation mattering. Uh, so the fact that our kids need to not only have people that are that are not afraid of them but uh, and respect and love them, but they also need to see people that look like them. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's 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 somewhat of a national push right now to increase the people of color that are in our industry. However, um, in the meantime, we have got to acknowledge that there are lots of good teachers out there of color, and we've got to mm-hmm. figure out how to recruit them and make sure that they are being developed and that they are getting all of the training and skills to be as effective as they can be with our community because uh, we are the ones that we're waiting on. You know, we, we don't mm-hmm. need uh, we don't need any other people that have to come into our community. We can do it. We just need uh, uh, the system <laughs> to work mm-hmm. in our favor um, in order mm-hmm. for everybody to blossom. Absolutely. Well, Kim, thank you so much. I just um, really want to encourage you and uh, to continue uh, to be on this path that you're on. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand that it takes a lot of sacrifice to do what you do and be engaged in turnaround school work for children uh, and families in these communities. And um, so I applaud you. You've been uh, nationally recognized for the work that you're doing. And so I also want to add to that. And um, I'm sure people will uh, will look and see um, you, for you, uh, look at the work that you're doing as an example of the kinds of uh, things we should be doing for children all over the country. Um, so thank you for joining us today. And uh, thanks so much uh, to the listeners out there who tuned in this month. Uh, just uh, we, we are excited for you, Kim, and we just want you to uh, continue to do great things for, for children and families. So to my listeners, until next time, go well, stay well. Thanks, everybody.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.